Hello, everybody. Uh, I am, I'm really glad, yes. I'm really glad to be back after almost two months away from Storyline Gatherings. Uh, I, last month, finished the brunt of my doctoral thesis that I've been whining about for so long. Yay, jazz hands for that. Um, I took some time off to decompress and to regroup. And uh, that time away, especially a week of quiet in the mountains, just opened up so much space in my soul. Uh, I'm so grateful um, for it. I'm really thankful to Julie and to the leadership team for supporting me in taking a bit of a break. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be back and to see you all. Uh, let's dive in. I want to give a little bit of a caveat. If you've got little ears near you, just as a heads up after the scripture I read, there's going to be a couple sentences of adult content. So if you want to mute for a minute, you can mute and you'll know when to unmute when everyone is laughing really, really hard. At least that's what I hope. You know. Uh, so with that teaser, let's dive in. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world in its desire way, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The title of my message this morning is The Evils of Masturbation and Other Things That This Text Is Not Really About. I want to thank my youth ministers and junior high Bible teachers for their influence in shaping this message thusly today. Uh, there, that's the end of the adult content. Uh, there's a lot of coded language in this text. Uh, which it's what, which is why it's probably interpreted in as many ways as it, as it is. Uh, that's the thing with words. There are legitimately a lot of different ways to interpret and make meaning of different things. Uh, people see don't love the world, the world, and they get a separatist or a sectarian kind of vibe. Uh, or people say, see lust of the flesh. And they assume that it's about sexual purity. But in both cases, uh, something else is going on. Something more is going on than just that. John's metaphors, world, light and darkness, flesh, they aren't about cosmology or biology. They're about ethics. They're about the way that we live. They're about the posture of our hearts and the actions that flow from them. For John, the word world can mean a couple of things. Uh, first, it can mean the created world and life within it, generally. Uh, second, it can mean the elements of human society that are controlled by the evil one and that are opposed to God. Uh, in this text, John is using the second meaning. He's not saying that the created material world is evil or that it's bad or that it's to be avoided or that we shouldn't enjoy chocolate or wine or the mountains. 
He's not even saying that the world outside of the church, that culture is to be avoided or hated. Um, if that were true, why would John's gospel say, for God so loved the world? John's using the word world here to describe darkness, evil, brokenness, the devil, etc. Anything that stands against God and God's loving purposes. And then we have verse 16 and the worldly trinity. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The word lust is probably better translated desire, because when we hear lust, we think something sexual. Um, but it's not specifically or exclusively sexual, uh, uh, though it certainly includes sexuality. And at the same time, to say, to use the word desire is not to say that John means that all desire is evil and bad. There are ways that John uses the word desire in ways that are for good desire and holy desire. Desire is something that has to be discerned. Um, it's also helpful to recall that when John and the other New Testament writers like Paul, when they use the word flesh, they're not talking about physical flesh. They're talking about the human tendency to go our own way, to do our own thing, to subsist on our own devices without depending upon our creator. Really, that's what all three phases, phrases are about, idolatry. Um, you heard that in the Black Liturgy uh, Instagram reading that we had during communion, uh, the, idol, the idols that we set up within ourselves and within our hearts. Um, ways that humanity is tempted to live apart from God by depending more on what we can see than on God, the desire of the eyes, or by depending more on our possessions or accomplishments than God, the pride of life, the pride of riches. In short, John's challenge to Jesus' people in this text is don't give some lesser thing your allegiance and trust, because lesser things won't ultimately help you or last. Uh, I've been watching through the Marvel movies in chronological order with Chloe in particular. Uh, it's her first time to watch them, and she loves Tony Stark, Iron Man. He is super cool. Uh, he has cool toys. He's rich. He can fly wherever he wants in his iron suit, and his superpower is really his brain power. But, but in many ways... Tony Stark also embodies the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of riches. He's a playboy. He's insufferably arrogant. He finds a lot of identity in his stuff and the things that he can accomplish. Uh, he even refers to himself as a god because of the power that he wields through the weapons that he has created. It's probably easy for us to see a caricature of somebody like Tony Stark and think, oh, I'm, I'm not like that guy. I mean, he's a total tool bag. Uh, and yet, in what ways are our own allegiances revealed in the way that we live? By how much we depend on binge watching or binge eating or binge drinking or shame cycles or the size of our bank account or the niceness of our stuff, or 
the constant acquisition of new stuff or feelings of superiority in relation to other people or our sense of justice, progressivism or politics. Uh, insert your, your, uh, attachment or idol of, of choice at this point. So much so that there's practically no need for us to trust God because we have distracted or numbed or deprecated or elevated ourselves so that we don't need to. The conversation about race in our current cultural moment is a needed one. Uh, The narrative of white supremacy has persisted for too long. It needs to be dismantled. Uh, Especially important is the insight that the evil of racism takes on systemic and institutionalized forms that transcend individuals. Evangelical Christians, in particular, aren't well equipped to receive such revelation uh, because of the very personal, individualistic, kind of born-again nature of their faith. And yet, this text reminds us that it is not either or, systemic or individual. It is both and. The world, the darkness, the flesh, whatever metaphors we use to describe it, it's certainly present out there in evil structures and institutions, but it's also present in here. Both demand a reckoning, both the world and the love of the world. And that's true for race relations and equity. Uh, specifically, it's also true of ethics generally. Uh, the invitation of this text to those of us who are disciples of Jesus is to live by the power of God's spirit in the light of Jesus's way of life, which manifests itself in love that is oriented to the good of others. The challenge for many of us, I think, who grew up hearing moralistic sermons and lessons out of texts like these is how do we hear and receive these words without the shame that often accompanied them in the religious context we grew up in? I have a couple ideas. First is start with your identity. I think it's significant that John starts this section in verse 12 by reminding the church that they already are forgiven, they already know God, and they already have overcome the evil one, at least in some ways. He reminds them of who they are before he invites them to become. You, all of you, all of us are God's beloved. Uh, Your sins are covered. God gives you grace. And so give yourself some grace too, especially in the chronic stress that is COVID that we're all in the midst of right now. Um, I'm convinced that the more we grow in the recognition of our belovedness from God, uh, the more we realize our fundamental worth in, in God's view, the more that we naturally loosen our grip on the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life and riches. Um, the second idea I have is to address your wounds. Elaine Heath says that the story of Adam and Eve in the garden where they disobey God and eat the apple 
uh, that that story is less about original sin and it's more about original wounds. Uh, because Adam and Eve were wounded by the serpent. They were deceived. They were tricked. They were enticed. You know, they were spiritual toddlers in the garden. Uh, and they disobeyed God out of that wounding. Uh, not that they weren't responsible for their decisions, but it was more complicated than them just wanting to be their own gods. Uh, and that's probably true for all of us. We are more complex than just simply being willful children who want to go our own way and do our own thing. Um, we're also shaped by our wounds, um, by ways that we've been sinned against. Uh, not to geek out on Marvel too much, and I, I know it's not real per se, but it can be true or say something true. Uh, you can totally see how Tony Stark's uh, – how the man that he's become is shaped by wounds from his past, uh, particularly in his family of origin. Isn't that interesting? If that's true, if that reflects life in some true way, then it follows that as we pay attention to our wounds, to those hard feelings that crop up, to the recurring mental narratives that um, we tell ourselves when life triggers us, as we name those wounds, as we share those wounds with God and with others, we experience healing and liberation from our brokenness and lesser allegiances. As we remember our identity, as we address our wounds, the spirit of God who lives in us strengthens us to live in the light of the way of Jesus. And that is better for us. It is better for our neighbors. It's better for our world. Um, I, so that's my discussion prompt, really. Uh, I'm, I'm going to break us out into groups for seven minutes or so and let you all, you know, tear it to shreds and talk about how might God be inviting you or us to grow in response to this text, this message, some of what we've talked about this morning. Um, 